Oh, well, good morning, everybody. Happy 4th of July to all of you. Uh, (laughs) Crazy times, crazy times we're living in. Uh, Jesus talked about it, didn't he? Uh, In Matthew and in an account from Luke, Jesus talked about the last days. And anything you study about the last days, uh, you realize we're there. We are there. Now, I've heard uh, theologians say before that Really, the last days began when, when Jesus uh, ascended to the right hand of the Father. Uh, you know, the Bible says that uh, to God, in his economy, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Uh, you know, and the Bible also says that God is not, not slack concerning his uh, promise, as some people consider slackness, but he's patient, right? Wishing for none to perish. And that's something that helps me, uh, knowing that every single day that God doesn't send Jesus Christ, right, to gather the church uh, in what we call the rapture, to bring us into um, heaven, uh, and before that tribulation period starts on planet earth that we read about in the book of Revelation, of course, in the Old Testament prophecies, um, every single day that he waylays that, that he stays that, is another day where he's offering people opportunity to repent, right, and to come to him through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and so if we have a perspective, and, 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 and the other thing too is, you know, I think balance is a very important thing to have as a, as a Christian, right? Um, you know, for those of you who've been around and been walking with the Lord for a long time, you know, you've seen seasons come and go. Uh, remember 88 reasons why the Lord's coming back in 1988. Remember that one? Uh, and, then, and then when Jesus didn't come back in 19... I don't know if you know, but he didn't come back in 1988. I don't know if you know that. But then when he, then he didn't come back, then it was 89 reasons why he's coming back in 89, you know. And my mom said, then he's going to write another book, 90 reasons why this dude ain't going to the rapture, you know what I mean? <laughs> Which is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> but it's been one thing after another, always. And so what happens is, you know, Peter says in the last days, scoffers are going to arise, right? And they're going to begin to kind of throw off this idea. Where is this, the, the, the Lord's return? This coming of the Lord, the coming of the Lord. Ever since our fathers fell asleep, things have gone on as they've always been. Nothing changes, right? And the Bible goes on to say, but they don't understand. They don't understand. God's promises are yea and amen, amen. right? Yea and amen. And he is patient, And he's wishing for none to perish. And so our job as Christians, uh, biblically, is to walk with the Lord, to sanctify ourselves to the best of our ability, to be continually sanctifying ourselves uh, so that God can put us into the ministry. God can use us for his purposes so that we can truly shine the light. You know, Jeremiah never had a convert in his ministry. He never had a convert. They threw him into a cistern, uh, but he never had a convert. Uh, It didn't matter. God called Jeremiah to go out amongst that, that nation, that crooked and perverse generation, and to preach to them the word of God and to tell them what God had said and what God was going to do, that he was going to surely accomplish the things that he promised, all the way going back to, as we've gone through the book of Deuteronomy, uh, and now uh, uh, coming into the book of Joshua, where God told the children of Israel, didn't he? He told them, if you're disobedient, you go after the gods of these other nations, then I'm going to bring the same kind of judgment on you that I've brought on everything on, on everyone else. The Canaanites are not so different than you. You are my chosen people. But God was patient towards the Canaanites. Way back when he told Abraham that, the children, that his, his lineage, his proge, prodigy, progeny, however you say it, we're going to go into that promised land. He said, not yet, because the sins of the Amorites has not yet reached its fulfillment. Last week we talked about in chapter 2 of Joshua, Rahab. We're going to continue, finish up 2 and go into 3 today. But we talked about Rahab 40 years before this, if the children of Israel would have entered in and knocked down the walls of Jericho, Uh, perhaps Rahab and her family would not have been saved. God understood. God knew. That doesn't mean that it wasn't God's will for them to go in at that point in time. This is where he's God and we're not, right? But he's working all the angles. He's got all the pokers in the fire. Our job is not to worry about the how, the what, the when, the why, right? What does the word of God say? Uh, A famous, I don't know if it was a politician or a thinker or philosopher, uh, many, many moons ago, made the statement, it's not the things in the Bible that I don't understand that I have a problem with. It's the things that I do understand that I have a problem with. And I think it's imperative for the church of Jesus Christ in the days that we're living in that we focus on what has God called me to do. 
right? It's so easy to get ourselves, and prophecy is important, right? Prophecy is like a third of the Bible. It is very, very important, and it is a very big part of God's plan. He, he alone, and he tells the children of Israel this, I alone, Jehovah, speak things before they happen and say what will come and what will be, and they come to pass. He alone does that. That's one of the, re- the reasons that we love, that we worship him and fear him is because he's the God who stands outside of time and intercedes where he will, okay? So prophecy is very important, but our job is not to know all the things, right? The Bible says that in times past, God spoke to his people through the prophets, but now he has spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And I think that Christians can get, can get so worried about what will be and what's going to happen and what's coming that we forget to focus in on what is God telling me to do today? Listen, I really want you to walk this Christian walk. I, well, well, well. Look, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Come on in. Come sit. Yay. Look at that fat little baby. I'm one to talk. I think it's very, very important the day that we live in. Now, at such a time, at such a time in such an age and such a, a, you know, the events that are going on currently in the world around us and in our country, where it is so difficult not to completely focus in and fixate on those things... I think perhaps it's now more important than it ever has been to instead of focusing on those things, focusing in on what God has told us we are to do, how our lives are supposed to look, how we're supposed to be conducting ourselves and living our lives. We're not supposed to be focused and fixated in on the, on the, uh, the, 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 the generation that Paul talked about who will be lovers of themselves, boastful, proud, disobedient to their parents, all of these things. We're not supposed to be focused in on fixated on that. We're instead supposed to be focused in and fixated on what has God called me to do? Uh, and I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. Uh, Joshua chapter 2, let's, let's pray first before we, before, we do, before we do anything. Lord, uh, we pray that you'd cover this portion of Scripture, Lord, uh, by your Holy Spirit. This is a supernatural document, Lord, and it was given to us by you, Father, who stand outside of time and space. And you knew each of us before we were ever thought about, Father, before America was a thing, Lord, before the world was spoken into existence by yourself. You knew us, Father, intimately. Uh, and you know exactly how these words need to be applied to each of our lives individually, Lord. So we pray that you would speak to each person uh, right where they're at this morning, Lord, and that your spirit and your word would have its perfect work in each of us, Lord. Um, have your way, Lord. May we shine bright for Jesus Christ in all that we do and say in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Joshua, kind of continuing in chapter 2 where where we left off, and I just wanted to kind of touch on one more thing about Rahab. Of course, uh, Rahab, always called through the scriptures, Rahab the harlot, and yet we find, uh, based on what we read in Joshua chapter 2, that most, very probably, we'll say that, very probably, Rahab was no longer doing the work of a harlot. Uh, she was she was around when the children of Israel had gone through the Red Sea. She remembers hearing about that. It was the word came all the way to where to where she lived in Canaan that this thing was happening and this was going on. And now it's been 40, 40 some years later. Uh, she's older, and we find here that she's a harvester uh, and a keeper of flax. We talked about that last week. The character of this woman, okay, the character of this woman. Uh, when I read about the character of Rahab, not only that, how in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 31, it says, by faith, harlot, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. So she's listed in the halls of faith. Okay, so it is my opinion, and I can't speak emphatically on that because I wasn't there, right? And we only have what we're given in the Bible. But it is, it is to me, it seems very clear and very evident. Rahab was at one point in time in her life a prostitute. And at this point in time in her life, when the spies come into Jericho, she is no longer doing that. She is looking for these men, right? She is looking for God. She wants to have a relationship. She wants to be counted among the people that belong to this great God, Jehovah, who has done these things, these great and mighty things by which all of the nations around her and her own people says her, their hearts are failing them for fear. They are petrified 
because of what God is doing. And all Rahab wants is to be counted amongst those people, right? Now, the Bible talks about the person that has this hope inside themselves purifies themselves, right? If you're a person who longs and is seeking and is desiring to have a relationship with Almighty God, the natural thing that happens as a result of that is you begin to seek to purify yourself. You begin to seek to make your, your life stand apart, both from what your life, your own life used to be, and also from the lives of the people around you. And, and of course, we're not going in to conquer these people in Jesus Christ, right? That's the old covenant. The new covenant in Jesus Christ, we're going amongst the people to shine the light of Jesus Christ, hopefully that anyone who would be seeking that same kind of relationship would see in us what they're looking for. And then they would be willing, based on what they see in us, to ask the question, why are you different? Why are you such? So the natural thing that happens as a result of seeking after and, and running after God in Jesus Christ is we purify ourselves. If there's nothing in your life this morning that you're severely convicted about, you ought to be, <laughs> right? Then you need to pray for that. I don't believe there's ever a moment in the, in, the, in the life of a Christian from the time they come to Jesus Christ to the time they close their eyes in death that there's like, I've, I've finally arrived. I'm there, guys. Look at me. You look at me, it's just like you're looking at Jesus. It's amazing. It's amazing, right? And, and some of the older saints that are, that are, that are like, like, you know, in prayer and in agonizing prayer over this thing in their life, and you're like, you're agonizing over that, right? Really? Yes. Yes, because the goal set before us is Christ Jesus. That's why we don't judge people. That's why we're not angry towards people who are in sin, because we realize we're no different than, than any of them are. We've just been sanctified and washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and called to a higher calling. That's the only difference between us and them. And I need to be purifying myself. And there's so many ways that I fall short of the glory of God that I need to be focusing in on. So my job, first and foremost, what does the Bible say? The two great commandments, Jesus, Jesus ratified this. The two great commandments, the greatest commandments, and all the law and all the prophets and everything are summed up in these two things. First and foremost, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. So what goes right along with that is, as I'm loving the Lord and I'm following after the Lord and I'm being purified, the natural, the natural occurrence uh, thing that's going to happen because of that is, as I'm being purified, God is going to now use me to reach out to the people. You understand, you got to have the one before you love the other, before you have the other. If you think that you're going to love people right and your relationship with God is off balance, it's never going to happen. All this talk about love, 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 and we need to love, we need to be better. That's not what people do. I don't know if you noticed. I don't know if you've ever picked up a history book, okay? But mankind is really not known for taking good care of each other. There's a couple of great examples here and there. We look, ah, if only we could be like that. If only we could be like that. If only we could be like that all the time. We can't. That's the point. And so we look to God and we look to Jesus Christ and we ask him, purify me, fill me with your Holy Spirit, put me into your service. And the natural progression from that and from our sanctification is that we are going to then want to share that with people. We're going to go out to people and we're going to be fit for that service. But that's all by the power of God. And so Rahab is a virtuous woman. She is, she is, she's called Rahab the harlot because we talked about this biblically when you go through the scriptures. You know, you were known for something. Matthew is, is the, per, the guy who wrote the gospel of Matthew. He's called Matthew what? The tax collector, okay? Tax collectors were like the biggest sinners on the block. Prostitutes and tax collectors. They were hated by their own people. Now, Matthew was a faithful, good and faithful servant and disciple of Jesus Christ. He's still calling Matthew the tax collector, okay? And I think that there's something to that, okay? There's not, see, Frank, now Frank, I'm Frank the good and holy. I'm Frank the good and holy. Nice to meet you. I'm Frank the good and holy, right? No, 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 no. I'm Frank <laughs> the tank, <laughs> right? In all the bad ways, you know what I mean? Like, like, oh, no, no, I'm still that guy. You understand? You understand? Th that guy still is there. Hopefully, he's just in the grave, right? He's hopefully in the grave. That's what baptism speaks to us too. I'm putting the old Frank to death, right? Uh, but I am not ashamed for someone to say, aren't you the Frank Thomas? 
that went to Henniger High School, and I used to see you up at the hill doing A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. Uh, yeah, that was me. That was me. What gives you the right to tell other people how to live their life then? Nothing. Nothing. But I want to show people that Jesus Christ can forgive anybody. And not only can Jesus Christ forgive anybody, he can then take that same person and put them into the work of the ministry to tell other people that Jesus can change your life too. That's the purpose. That's the point of it all. So I don't think that she would have been ashamed to be referred to as Rahab the harlot. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> it would seem like it would bother you. A little bit, right? Maybe. But Rahab the harlot, what, that doesn't matter. It's her faith that mattered, and that's what she's remembered for. Uh, now, uh, another one interesting point before we move uh, into chapter 3 uh, is, and, and this, this kind of comes up sometimes, is Rahab's lying. Okay, uh, so if you go back to chapter 2, uh, let's see, go back to 2 and go all the way up to verse 3, uh, verse 3 of chapter 2. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. That wasn't true. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. That wasn't true. Where the men went, I do not know. That's not true. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. That's not true. So Rahab, and this is an interesting, it's more of a philo, maybe a philosophical question. I don't know. But it's a question, nevertheless, I think, that begs answering. Was it okay that Rahab lied? The Bible specifically, when it says, outside of the kingdom of heaven are all dogs and liars, is what the scripture says. God hates lies. God hates a lying tongue. What are the three things that God, the Lord God hates? A lying tongue is one of them. So how can it possibly be? Well, the, the, the big answer is, I don't know. I don't, have, I don't have the foggiest idea. But, but here's a couple of things I think we can look at to maybe put us in the ballpark. Again, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, uh, by faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Uh, also, you remember in Exodus chapter 1, verse 17, it says, but the midwives, this was Sifra and Pua, you remember the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. If you remember, uh, the king of Egypt, because the children of Israel were multiplying so fast and becoming a nation right in front of his eyes, if these people turn against us, right? So that's why they put them into slavery and they continue to multiply. So he came out with this edict that every firstborn male child would be tossed into the Nile river and drowned, right? That's what Moses' destiny was. That's what Moses was planned for Moses. That's why his mother took him and put him in that little ark, covered it in pitch and sent him down the Nile river. All right. And of course he was then found by the Pharaoh's daughter. We all know the story, but these midwives were commanded to kill the firstborn children when they were born. And of course, it said they feared God, and so they did not do what the king had commanded them to do. Now, when they were questioned on it, they lied. <laughs> they lied. They said, oh, the Hebrew women, they're so strong. They're so strong and, 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 with, and full of vigor, right? That they pop these babies out before we even get there, right? They came up with this whole lie. And what does the scripture say immediately following it? That God blessed them and blessed their households and gave their households many blessings because, because God overlooks. See, this is the important thing I think that we take from this. Is it okay to lie? Never. Honey, does this shirt make me look fat? Right? And my wife knows, don't lie to me. So she says, no, your face does. Right? <laughs> But somebody, you know, you lie all the time, don't you? You, you lie. You, you, you're not honest all the time. You know, how do I look? Tell me the truth. And you're like, let's see. I want this to be a nice evening, right, fellas? I want this to be a nice evening. You know, tell me, tell me, honey, what do you think of my mom? <laughs> you know what I mean? Whatever. It goes on and on and on. I love my mother-in-law, by the way. But it goes on and on. This is, this is how it is. It's never okay to lie. It's never okay to lie. Now, you, you say, well, it's just a little white lie. It's just a little white lie. Is there a difference in God's economy between big sin, what we consider big sin and little sin? Big sin separates us from God, but little sins don't separate us from God. Is that right? 
No, that's, that's a lie, right? That is not true. All sin separates us from God. If the man, a person knows what they ought to do and does not do it to that person, it's a sin, right? Okay, we're covered in sin, you understand? Even when we're doing our very, 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 very best, we fall short of the glory of God. We do it every single day. The grace of God, this is why the gospel is so beautiful, because people don't realize how bad they really are. Because, again, when we talk about righteousness, it's not me compared to you. I might look pretty good next to you, or you might look pretty good standing next to me. But it's comparing ourselves to Jesus Christ that shows us who we really are and how far away from God's holiness we really are. It causes us not to judge, and it causes us to be continually before the Lord. Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, Lord, help me. God overlooks the women who lied about Moses and Rahab who lied about the two spies are not remembered for their lying, but they're remembered for their faithfulness and their faith in God. They're remembered for their faith in God. A couple of verses. Uh, Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. In 1 Peter 4, 8, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. That's one of the things I always kind of joke around, but I'm half serious, half joking about it. Be nice to people, and to the best of your ability, ask God to help you show people love. Because the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. You know what I'm saying? And so I would say, listen, I got enough problems. I got enough problems. I want to do to the best of my ability the things that I know God has given me the ability to do. Because love covers a multitude of sins, right? And all that, the, the actions that come by faith and all of those things are about love. Make no mistake about it. It's about love, first towards God and then towards his people. Okay, so moving on, Joshua chapter 3. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove. If you have a King James, it says Shittim, uh, Acacia Grove, same thing, and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Uh, let's see, sorry. Yet there shall be a space between you and it about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Don't you love that language right there? Tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And you ever wake up thinking, you know what, Lord? Tomorrow I pray that you would do wonders. He's the same God he's always been. Then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here uh, and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will, be, uh, he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap." So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan that with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zartan, Zaratan. So the waters that went down into the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, failed and were cut off. 
and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. So, beginning of chapter 3, first thing, Joshua rose early in the morning. We read in Joshua chapter 6, verse 12, Joshua chapter 7, verse 16, and Joshua chapter 8, verse 10, uh, before the Lord was about to do something, Joshua was up early in the morning. Joshua's up early. There's something special. Now this is not a, you know, you got your, maybe your time with the Lord is in the evening. Maybe your time with the Lord is at lunchtime, whatever it is. But there's something about the morning, isn't there? There's something special about when you get up early in the morning uh, and you're spending time with the Lord. It's just, it's just before anybody else is up. I, I like to get up on Sunday mornings. No one else is up. I don't have to go to work. I just got to get ready for church and no one's up yet. And I get a cup of coffee and I go sit out on the patio and just look at the sun, not directly, but indirectly. I look at the sun and just, it's like, God, you're so good. God, you're so wonderful. And there's such a blessing in that, such a blessing in that. I think it speaks to someone else. Joshua didn't have an alarm clock right? No iPhone next to the bed, to the bed, none of those things. He was up in Adam in the morning. And that tells me Joshua was excited, right? Like Joshua hit the ground every morning, excited about what God was going to do. There's something in there uh, that I love because it's, because it's, because it's specific, isn't it? About him rising. Who cares? Who cares that he rose early in the morning? I think it speaks to that, to his excitement. Uh, verse two, uh, they're not camped at the Jordan River for three days. Now, it says this, uh, so it was after three days that the officers went through the camp. Now, I want to back up a little bit. Remember back in Joshua chapter 1, verses 10 through 11, right before Joshua sends the spies out, it says this, then Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, pass through the camp and command the people saying, prepare provisions for yourselves for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess, okay? So from Joshua chapter 1, from the time they left Acacia to the time that they were from their, they're in Acacia, he sends the spies out, the spies go to Rahab, they have their interaction, they come back, and then the people go from there to the Jordan River, and they cross over the Jordan River. All that's within three days' time, okay? So when it says that they left Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, they weren't there for three days. It's talking about, notice what it says, so it was after three days, Okay, so from the time Joshua first said that, this has been a fast and furious uh, turn of events here. Very fast. Moses dies. Joshua becomes the leader. They come to this, they, they send the spies into Jericho. They come back. They're at the Jordan. It's go, 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 go. You know, I think there's something about how the Lord worked through Joshua. Joshua was no nonsense, right? And Joshua was going to be the one that God used to send into the land of Canaan to conquer all of those lands right? And Joshua was not about the waiting, right? Joshua was not about the waiting. It was go, go, go. And I think the Lord used him uh, in that capacity. Uh, verses three to five, uh, I love this part. Verses three to five, and they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. I love this because there's no trumpets, there's no shouts, there's no signal, there's no flares, there's no pomp, there's no circumstance. You're at your camp, you're ready to go. That's your status, right? Your status is you're in the camp and you're ready to go. You're always ready to go when you see the ark. When you see the ark, and I love it what he says, uh, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God. When you see the ark of the covenant. Now, the ark before this, remember, was, it was uh, uh, directed to Moses. When, it, when they traveled, the ark was covered. Okay, it was covered animals. animal. Says, this may very well be the first time that the people of Israel have ever seen the ark uncovered. Imagine that. And now you know, if you're a children of Israel living in, in, in the wilderness, and the pillar of cloud is over the tabernacle by day and the pillar of fire at night, if you were to just decide you were going to take a stroll on into the tabernacle right? And see what was behind tent number two, <laughs> tent flap number two, right? What would happen to you? Smoke, right? Smoked. Nadab and Abihu style, right? Remember Aaron's sons, the fire comes out of the tabernacle and roasts them, right? And Moses is like, oh, this is what God meant when my name will be magnified, right? So there's a fear there, okay? There's a holy and reverent fear of the awesome power of God. And I love it here. Just wait for the ark, 
And, and, and think of what the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God is, right? It's this, this golden adorned box, okay, made out of wood and then overlaid in gold with a cherubim facing towards one another of, uh, over what the top of the Ark, what was called the mercy seat of God, where the, where the blood of the Lamb once a year would be sprinkled on the Day of Atonement. And inside of the, of the Ark was the law of God, was the covenant, God's promises and God's mercy, right? You wait until you see God's promises and God's mercy go before you and then follow after it. Don't hesitate. Don't wait for the trumpet. Just get your stuff and start walking and start walking towards the Jordan River. I love that. Now he, he directs him there in verse four, yet there shall be a space between you and it about 2000 cubits by measure. That's a thousand yards, guys. If that still doesn't do it for you, 10 football fields, Okay, have you ever been to a football field and stood on one end? Have you ever ran the length of a football field? You have like four heart attacks and a murmur by the time you get to the other side, right? Uh, Ten football fields. Now, this is what I'm thinking to myself. Imagine you're those priests carrying the ark, and you're walking towards the Jordan River, and Jericho's on the other side of the Jordan River, and you know that they can see you. They've been watching you this whole time, and you're out there a thousand yards from everybody. Would you not be afraid of a volley of arrows or something? right? But they just march out there a thousand yards ahead of the entire nation. Now, part of the reason of that for the thousand yard space is because if they were right up on top of the ark, think of the amount of people. Think of the amount of people, because this isn't just the soldiers. This isn't just the soldiers going and crossing over the Jordan. This is the entire nation of Israel at this point, something around 2 million people. We don't know the exact number. A lot of people, a lot of people. If the ark was right up close to them, everyone wouldn't see it, would they? But uh, God instructs Joshua to set the ark a thousand yards out in front of the entire group of people so that everybody can see. And everybody has the same perspective. Everyone has the same perspective. Think of it. You're a children of Israel, and you're in the camp, and you're looking out, and there's Jericho and the Jordan River that is flooded out because it's, a, it's, a, it's that time of the year and the ark, and then you. Imagine that. Imagine that sight. Imagine that feeling. I love that. Uh, stand back and watch God work, right? No soldiers necessary. We don't need any shields around the ark. God needs no protection, right? Uh, you know, we don't have to uh, explain or apologize our faith ever, I hope, I hope, you know, sometimes people start questioning and people start accusing God of certain things and different things, and, and we can become almost become defensive, but I want to stick up for God. I want to stick up for God. I want to say, well, you know, God, God, God doesn't need me to stick up for him, right? Uh, I, I heard a, a preacher one time say, don't defend the word of God. Let it out of its cage. It's a lion. Let it out of its cage. Use the word of God. You don't need to defend the word of God. When people laugh at you and scoff at the word of God, you believe that, you believe that, you're an idiot, you're an idiot. You don't need to defend any of that. You know, last week, dad told the story of the, the professor that was walking through and this little girl was handing out pamphlets and he, you know, started yelling at her, you believe in this garbage? And she just kept saying, all I know is that the, for God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And he was berating her and asking her questions. And she just kept using this verse on him again and again and again and again. And the guy ends up coming back, he gets saved. And, and it's just like, all I could hear in my head all I could hear, all of his questions and all of his uh, education and all the things that had caused him as a, as a humanist to say, I, I will never believe in this God, were shattered and dashed and smashed to pieces or, or dropped like the walls of Jericho because of one Bible verse. Don't be afraid to use your Bible. More importantly, don't be afraid to know your Bible, right? The Bible says of itself, uh, study to show yourself approved a workman, rightly dividing the word of truth who need not be ashamed. We need to use the word of God. We need to, I, this is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. Well, doctor so-and-so and theologian such-and-such, this is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible... Lay that on them and let that marinate. The Bible is the sword. We're not the sword. A biblical education itself, the education is not the sword. A book by your favorite author, a praise, that's not the sword. The word of God is the sword. The word of God, that's what God has given us. I love it. So stand back and watch God work. 
uh, and I like in verse 4 too, it's interesting. He says, uh, keep your distance uh, between about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you must go for you have not passed this way before. That's interesting to me. Now, how hard is it? right? We're here. There's the Jordan River. There's Jericho. We're supposed to go to Jericho. I don't need a GPS, Josh. Okay. What do you mean? What are you talking about? I think he's speaking completely of something completely different than directions here. This isn't about directions. These people, this generation had never been brought through parted waters by the Lord, their God, except for Joshua and Caleb. Remember, they were the only ones from that generation that came out of Egypt, that went through the Red Sea, that then went into the Promised Land. Joshua and Caleb were the only two. None of the other ones had ever passed through the Red Sea. The awesome power and might of that experience. Every single time when, the, when Rahab's talking to them, when anybody is saying, we've heard, we've heard about the Lord, they always mention the parting of the Red Sea. They're always mentioning the parting of the Red Sea. There's something about God bringing us through the water. I think it speaks to baptism. I think it speaks to being anointed with the Holy Spirit. Okay? Crossing over the Jordan, we talk about the symbolism between the Christian life and what God did in the children of Israel. The Jordan River is not death. Okay, in old hymns and songs and spirituals and stuff like that, people talk crossing over the Jordan River as though that was going from this life into the next life. They're going to go over into Canaan. There's wars to be fought, right? There ain't no wars in heaven, okay? There's no battles to be fought in heaven. There's no giants. There's no Philistines in heaven. The Jordan River is a picture of crossing over into the sanctified life. That's the promised land, for you and I, is the sanctified life walking with Jesus Christ. Those who didn't have faith, even though God had saved them, even though God had worked miracles in their life, they could never cross over the Jordan River. The Jordan River is a picture of that sanctified life. There was something about passing through the water with the Lord that this generation had never experienced before, and Joshua, more, more, more appropriately, God wanted to make sure they did it right and that they experienced the full power of it. The full power of it. I want you guys to go through correctly so that you can see how I work. Now, uh, let's see, let's see. Joshua said to the people, verse 5, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So what was the job of the people? Sanctify themselves. That was the job of the people, the only job that the people had. I want you to listen, guys. I want you to go home. I want you to sharpen up your swords. I want you to make some extra arrowheads. I want to get your slingshots, make sure everything's good, ready to go. We're going to war. We're going to war. Joshua said, sanctify yourselves. I want you to sanctify yourselves. It reminds me of a couple of verses. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 to 21 says this. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. This is the interesting part. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work, right? God uses people where they're at, right? Talking about God using Rahab and God using the midwives, even though they lied, right? And God blessing them because of that. But God is always looking for sanctified hearts, God is always looking for purified vessels. He goes, there's vessels in the house. Some are used for honor. Some are used for dishonor. And if you want to be used for honor, cleanse yourself of the latter. That's interesting. You have a choice. It's like you go to the New York Giants football because where else would you go? Would you go to Pittsburgh to watch that sorry team play? <laughs> you go, imagine this. You go to the stadium and someone says to you, listen, you can sit in the nosebleeds, Right? bleeding into your popcorn, right? Your $50 bag of popcorn. Or, or you can be out on the field playing. You have the ability to be wherever you're willing to be, right? The promises of God are yes and amen. The power of the Holy Spirit is for everyone. Our job is to sanctify ourselves so that we can be used by the Lord. First uh, Thessalonians, this is, a, this is a good smack in all of our heads for, for the generation that we live in. First uh, Thessalonians chapter four, verses three to eight says this, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Well, I could just stop right there. This is the will of God, 
I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know what God's will is. Stop, stop right there. Go to the word. Stop going in here. Stop going into my feelings. Well, I feel a certain thing. Who cares? Right, Uncle Doug? Where's he at? What does the word of God say? What does the word of God say? This is the will of God, your sanctification. Are you sanctified yet? <laughs> then stop worrying about the other stuff. Right? This is the will of God, your sanctification. Wait a second. That puts things into a different perspective. Maybe, maybe all the other stuff I'm unsure of or I'm afraid of or I'm worried about or I don't know are things that God is using in my life to bring me to what his true will is for my life that I be sanctified. That you should abstain from sexual immorality and that each of you should know, here it is, guys, how to possess his own vessel, that's your body, in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness." Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Don't play games with yourself. Don't kid yourself. And don't excuse anything in your life that is not sanctifying you. Also remember Rahab. Okay? Also remember Rahab. God loves you, and God wants to use you, and God will use you sometimes in spite of yourself. He is that gracious, he is that merciful, and he is that loving. But make no mistake about it. And don't play games with yourself, and don't play games with God. He wants my sanctification. In what things? in all things. It could be real. I remember back in the day, we had a, a, a lady at the church, and we, had all, when we used to have rules, okay? How you dress and <laughs> things like that. We used to have these kind of rules. And you couldn't serve if you, if you smoked tobacco. If you did tobacco or alcohol or you went to a movie house, <laughs> movie house, uh, or if you danced, <laughs> you know, had fun. <laughs> it's from the devil, you know, having fun. And this one uh, person wanted to serve and wasn't allowed to because they smoked, okay? Um, you know, and, 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 and there's just certain things. Like, you know, I, I, I don't, listen, if you smoke out in front of the church, clean your cigarette butts up. You know what I'm saying? It shouldn't look like the front of the mall when people come here, right? But uh, I remember her talking, and I don't know if she was speaking specifically to me, but she said this, she, and I should say this person, it doesn't have to be a she, but the cat's out of the bag now. She said this to me, you know, I can't serve because I smoke cigarettes, and yet there's people sitting in that church, and they can serve. And, and I don't know if she's personally attacking me, I'm not sure. I wasn't serving at the time. <laughs> but I remember thinking to myself, you are a thousand percent correct. You are a thousand percent correct. Because I could stand there, fat as a whale, shiny-cheeked, pointing at her saying, you smoke cigarettes. Really, Chubbs? Really? Hey, it is what it is, man. It is what it is. You think that God wouldn't have me, and, and this is just an example, so please. You know, and again, I'm not picking on fatties. I are one, okay? But it is what it is. The bottom line is, the bottom line is, God wants me to do better. And I got a real problem, people, with chicken wings. I got a real serious problem. It's a good thing they're so expensive. I hope they go to 50 bucks a dozen. You know what I mean? Maybe that'll cure me. Or we'll be broke. <laughs> the bank account's cleaned out. Nikki goes, where did the money go? And I got wing sauce on my face, you know. But, but, the, but the, the fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is, Stop kidding yourself, man. If I'm sanctified, right? And, and I, I said, possess your own vessel, right? This is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and I know where it goes, and I know what it does, and I know what it puts inside of itself, and I know what comes out of it. And it's for the glory and the honor of God. 
not for my pleasure. We are surrounded. That's, all, that's what we're all about. That's what, that's what this generation, guys, is all about. Pleasure. If it feels good, do it. And then worry about how to justify it. But that's not what the Word of God says. Interesting. Joshua says, sanctify yourselves. What time is it? 10.05. Okay, well, well, we better wrap it up quickly. Um, so they crossed the Jordan River. Okay. <laughs> uh, there's a couple of things um, I, wanted to, I wanted to point out. Joshua spoke to the priest saying, take up the Ark of the Covenant, cross over the, uh, before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Uh, and God says to Joshua, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Moses is dead, and yeah, Joshua had been around, but who's Joshua? He didn't lead us to the Red Sea. He didn't do this. And Moses had enough problems with the people with all the things God did through him. And so God says to, Mo- to Joshua here, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to um, exalt you in the eyes of the people. Um, let's see. Verse 11, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord and of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. And that's no small thing that the ark now twice is referred to. The ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth. Yeah, the ark. No, the ark. Yeah, the ark. You know the ark. No, no, wait, stop. Stop. The ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth. I say, how do I approach the Bible? I got to get my verses in for the day. I got to get my verses in. This is the word of God, the living and active sword from the mouth of God to my ears, translated by his Holy Spirit to me, right? Wow. I should put this word out in front of me at all times in everything that I do in this life, any place that I go. Not just, oh, that's the Bible. That's the, you know what the Bible says, what the Bible says, the very true and sure word of God. Now, therefore, take for yourselves, verse 12, 12 men from the tribes of Israel one man from every tribe. And then he moves on from there. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the souls of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, Lord of the earth, he goes right into what's going to happen when they, when they touch the waters. What, what do you mean? Why are we choosing 12 men? It's interesting. It's not until after they cross through the Jordan River, and Dad's going to get into this, that God tells them, take 12 men from each of the 12 tribes and have, have them set up 12 stones as a pillar of remembrance for what God did here today. I love this. Joshua doesn't have all the information either. But God told him, choose 12 men. For what? Choose 12 men. And Joshua doesn't give them the information, what they're supposed to do with these 12 men. Just choose 12 men. I think that's important. Uh, The last kind of thing I wanted to talk about was just the miracle itself. You know, if you read enough literature, if you read enough historians, theologians, man, they'll explain away every miracle of the Bible for you. They will make it so you can believe most, a lot, of what's in the Bible based on natural events. You know, the Red Sea was actually called the Sea of Reeds. Did you know this? And it was only, in spots, it was only a couple feet thick, uh, deep, rather, and they could walk through. So, yeah, it was totally possible, man, the Sea of Reeds. Yeah, well, the Sea of Reeds. Then it, then it leaves you with a bigger problem. How did God drown an entire army in two feet of water? Right? What are, you, what are you trying to do here? God goes out of his way. Remember the altar of Baal? Remember when Elijah goes and he stands down there before Ahab and the prophets of Baal? And he says, time to choose, boys. Time to choose who you're going to serve. Let's set up an altar. Let's put a sacrifice on it. And let's see finally who's God. My God, Jehovah, or your God, Baal. Let's see who's God. Remember? And, and, and he instructs him to build this altar and then to dig a trench around it and to put a sacrifice on it and to bring buckets and buckets and buckets and buckets of water until the whole sacrifice is drenched and the whole trough around it, this whole giant ditch, is full to the top with water. And then he tells the prophets of Baal, call on your God to consume this sacrifice. And the prophets of Baal start dancing around and they end up cutting themselves and, 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 and Elijah's mocking them. He's picking on him the whole time. Oh, maybe he's in the toilet. You know what I mean? Maybe he can't hear you. Oh, he's busy. And they're ah, 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 till they're finally exhausted and laid out. And Elijah goes, Lord, show him who you are. Show him who you are. And the fire of God drops down from heaven and licks up the water and burns up the altar and the sacrifice until there's nothing left. God wants to leave no doubt. I will never, ever, ever try to explain away or apologize for the miracles of the Bible. In fact, make fun of me all you want. Yes, I believe in the invisible man in the sky. So talk of impossibility is ridiculous to me. 
He is the king of the universe. He is the creator of time and space and matter and all the planets and all the galaxies and the heavens and the earth. He is God and there is none beside him. None. And if he says to the waters of the Jordan River, stand up in a heap and cross over on dry ground, then that's exactly what he's going to do. And it's easy, man. It's simple. It's simple. Don't agonize over the, 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 the things in your life that you're afraid of. Don't agonize over the sicknesses in your life, the illnesses of your life. If God's desire is to heal you, then he can do it, and it's easy. It's simple. Maybe I'm not praying the right way. Maybe I'm not talking to the right person. Maybe I don't have enough faith. You trust in God. If he wants to heal you, he'll heal you. It's easy, man. It's just simple. But what did we read? God's will for your life is what? Your healing? Sanctification. Your sanctification. Paul. Anybody here as good as Paul? I mean, anyone preach as good as Paul, right? Anyone live a life as holy as Paul set aside? I mean, it's not even close. Ha! It's a joke, right? I'm convinced Paul would hate me. I don't even think he would like me as a person. You know what I mean? Like, he'd be like, everyone follow me. Frank, please go away. You know what I'm saying? Go to your wings. You know what I mean? You know. But Paul, the apostle Paul, and he says, I have a tent stake in my flesh. I agonize. Historians say that he was hunched over and his eyes ran and oozed. He was always wiping his eyes. He could barely see. He talks about it in some of his letters. See the large letters that I use as I've written this with my own hand. He said his speech was contemptible. Physically, Paul was a mess, and he prayed, and he agonized, God, take these things away from me. God said, nope, because my strength is made perfect in weakness. My strength is made perfect in weakness, right? Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And that's the prayer I think that finally maybe we all need to come to, is that we finally say, God, whatever your will is, whether it's my health, whether it's my sickness, whether it's my exaltation, whether my being debate, whatever it is, like Paul says in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and uh, for the example of the children of Israel, Lord. We pray that you'd help us to have uh, like-minded faith to just follow after you, Lord, and sanctify ourselves, that those would be the things that we would focus in on in our lives, Father, following you, sanctifying ourselves, Lord. We would not worry about everything else, but allow you to take care of those things, Father. Your will will be accomplished. What you have said is going to happen is going to happen, Lord. And we pray that all of our hope and all of our faith and all of our joy and all of our uh, expectation, Lord, would be in you uh, and would be in what you're going to do on planet Earth and what you seek to do through us, Father. Uh, and that we would work on the things that you, we know that you have uh, asked us to work on, Lord, ourselves and by the power of your spirit, Lord, for our sanctification. And, uh, Lord, we pray that you would uh, bless us as we go from this place today, Father, first and second service, Lord. Uh, Lord, as we go to our families' houses, as we go back home with our own families, Lord, and spend time celebrating uh, our independence, Lord, celebrating what the founding fathers did. And um, Father, we pray that you'd watch over and protect each person here, Lord. And we pray, Father, that you would take us from this place in our minds and in our hearts, uh, looking and, and expecting to be used by you, Father, to shine a light today, Lord. Um, that it wouldn't just be about us, but it would be about blessing other people, Father, and being used for your glory and for your purposes, Lord. Today, tomorrow, and the rest of the week, and uh, all of our lives, Father, we pray for, we pray for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Amen.